This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Get a Casper mattress and get a great night's sleep. Try it for 100 nights risk-free. Go to casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Because the vault's curator is not here, I'm going to open this up. This is, uh, if I can... Who would seal? Who would seal a baseball? There we go. Signed by everybody in the major leagues who has ever hit over 500. Ernie Banks, even I know these names. Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams. Heroes or ball players? Champions? What does it mean to be a champion? Champion, Babe Ruth, right? He was a champion. This is his luggage. Love this. And I opened it up. I don't think he ever washed his uniform or his socks because it stinks in there. But um, he was a champion. He was a guy who pointed to the fences, came up to the plate, and pointed at the fences. It's going that way, that way. Calling it as he sees it. That's really hard to do. To call it as you see it. Especially when it is beyond sports. Champions, every four years, we have the Olympics. This is the Olympic torch from uh, Rio. Is this a... Is this a sign of a champion? Watch, you have to watch this part because it's really cool watch. Running with the torch, getting the gold. Ryan Lochte, is that a champion? Or is he just good at swimming? I want to talk to you about champions. And the difference between somebody who's good at what they do and a real champion. Because I believe champions are not only good at what they do, they also stand when everyone else is sitting down. Let me show you what we have in the vault tonight. We have been looking for heroes since before Christ. I, I, ref- I refuse to say BCE, before Common Era. Um, before Christ, 776 BC, the Olympics began in, um, in Greece, looking for champions, looking for um, people that were like the gods, somebody better than everybody else, your run-of-the-mill. And it went... Until almost 400 A.D. before uh, everything collapsed. And we started again in the 1800s. And these are just some of the torches uh, from some of the uh, recent Olympiads. This is the Moscow Olympics, which we boycotted in 1980. There's the Beijing Olympics. 
I think this is 72. Yeah, this is Munich, 1972, where we had um, hostages uh, taken and all kinds of problems. This, I think, is Athens. This is Salt Lake City. I'm not sure what that one is. It might be an urn with Aunt Martha in it. This one is the Rome Olympics. But I want to talk to you about these two because these two come down to champions. And champions that you know, at least on this one, champion that you know, you know the name of one of the guys. This is from the Olympics in Berlin. 1936. Jesse Owens, you know. But it's the man with the towel who didn't pick up the gold that I think is just as much of a champion as Jesse Owens. And Jesse Owens isn't a champion in my book because of his jump. Jesse Owens is a champion because of what he did and how he handled himself, and the choice, standing for something, calling it like it is, standing in front of Hitler. I defy you. But how was he received when he came home? Because sometimes champions aren't always loved, real champions, when they get home. And Jesse Owens was an interesting story to tell. Standing or something. Um, Jesse Owens was a man of character, but so is this man. This man was Jesse Owens' competition. He was, uh, he was under a lot of pressure because he was on the German team, and he was the pride and joy of the German people. And Hitler and Goebbels had come to see him wipe the floor with the American Negro. That's not what happened, but it could have if it wasn't for a towel. The question is, how can a towel make you into a champion? This is from 1936. Uh, This was printed in Germany the year of the Olympics. Uh, And you'll see in here, it's kind of just so creepy. Um, Here you see the the sailboat uh, championship with the uh, swastika on the tail. There's Hitler chatting it up uh, with the sailors. Um, the front of the book also has Hitler. And, and you have to remember now, Hitler uh, had just come to power three years before. And this was a country that had been ravaged um, by, uh, by, by the rest of the world, quite honestly. And, um, and the, the mark was worth nothing. They had lost all of their pride. They were angry. Uh, they uh, felt kicked around by the rest of the world, and they wanted a change. And boy, did they get one. 1936 is still when um, a lot of people are playing games that, oh, Hitler's not so bad. We had um, John F. Kennedy's father over in England saying, you know, the Jews really kind of deserve it. 
uh, you know, they kind of getting what they want, you know, what they deserve because of the things that they did. They are pretty greedy, you know. And so America's not paying attention. The world's not paying attention. But Europe knows. And quite honestly, anybody who is paying attention knows this is very bad. We have our own problems with racism in America at this time. Um, because of Woodrow Wilson, our, even our military has been resegregated. You have to remember that. The military was not segregated. It was Woodrow Wilson who came in and resegregated it. It was Woodrow Wilson who started um, pitting us against each other again as most um, really nasty uh, progressives do. They pit one class or one people after another. And in those days, the progressives... Uh, were wildly racist. So it's kind of odd that we're sending over Jesse Owens, the greatest long jumper uh, known to man. Um, It's odd that we would send Jesse Owens, a black man, to represent us. And in fact, a lot of people didn't want him to go. They didn't want him to go, but not because of Adolf Hitler. They didn't want him to go because of us. How can you, Jesse, go over and stick your finger in der Fuhrer's eye when we are suffering as the black community here? He struggled mightily with this, and he knew in many ways he was in a no-win situation. His own community would reject him. The powers that be, the NAACP, they fought hard to keep Jesse at home. He knew he would not be popular. But if he didn't go, he also knew he wouldn't be popular because he knew he could win. So he goes over and he doesn't meet the Fuhrer. Um, He just goes and he applies himself. Here he is uh, running. He just spent his time uh, trying to be the best that he could be and be a good sportsman here on this page. You see, I don't read German. This is all in German. These are, this is actually a, a cigarette collectible book. As you, as you bought a pack of cigarettes, you'd get another picture that you could paste into this book. Perfect for the kids to get them smoking. But here he is. This is the guy who the Germans were counting on. Um, this guy was uh, uh, Lutz Long. Lutz was the master race. He was the Aryan that was going to put that Negro in his place. That's what everybody thought. That's what Hitler was expecting. But as he watched Jesse Owens practice, he noticed that Jesse was jumping just a bit too soon or Maybe it was a bit too late. And he watched him over and over again. And that's when he took the towel from around his neck. And he went up to Jesse, and he spoke to him, and he said, Jump where I put the towel. Now everybody's watching him. Hitler is watching him. Jesse looks at him. Thanks, Lutz. 
he jumps where he put the towel. It was 8.3 meters. Lutz was supposed to do better, but he couldn't beat that one. Here it is, um, 7.87. He got the silver. Lutz would pay for the towel later in life. Um, Obviously, Hitler wasn't pleased with him. And he also became friends with Jesse Owens, which also didn't make him real popular. He was a good little German Aryan who believed in fair play. He didn't like the way Hitler was treating people, but he didn't really kind of know better. He didn't believe in God. Um, He was just doing what he felt was right what was sportsman. He wanted to be a champion. And a champion can be just as much as the champion as the the guy who had the gold, even if you only win silver. He was sent um, to fight in the war. And he had struck up a friendship with Jesse Owens, and he had um, many times told him Please, tell my kids, if you ever meet them, who their father was. As I was looking through this book, I thought, what was it like in years later to open up your book that you had put together as a kid with all of the Nazi stuff in it? Or worse yet, how would you feel if that was you, the moment of your triumph, and you're wearing a German uniform with the swastika on it? How would you feel later in life? He wanted to make sure that Jesse Owens told his kids, your dad wasn't a Nazi. He died in battle, and here's what he wrote. This is his last letter to Jesse Owens. He said, I'm here, Jesse, where it seems there's only the dry sand and wet blood. I don't fear so much for myself, my friend Jesse. I fear for my woman who is home and my young son, Carl, who has never really known his father. My heart tells me, if I be honest with you, that this is the last letter I shall ever write. But if it is so, may I ask you something? It's something very important to me. Will you please go to Germany when this war is done someday and find my Carl and tell him about his father? Tell him, Jesse, what times were like when we were not separated by war. I am, I am saying, tell him how things can be between men on this earth. If you do this something for me, this thing that I need most, I, know, I need to know that you will do it. And I do something for you now. I tell you something I know you want to hear and is true. That hour in Berlin, when I first spoke to you, when you had your knee upon the ground... I knew you were in prayer. Then I don't know how I knew, but now I do. I know it's never been by chance that we came together. I come to you that hour in 1936 for purpose more than the Berliner Olympiad. And you, I believe, will read this letter. While it should not be possible to reach you ever, For purpose more than our friendship, I believe this shall come about 
because I think now God will make it come about. This is what I have to tell you, Jesse. I think, I think I might believe in God. And I pray to Him that even while it should not be possible for this to reach you ever, that these words I write will still be read by you. Your brother, Lutz. The thing he wanted most was for his son to know who his father was. And he knew that the thing Jesse Owens wanted wasn't gold. He wanted to know that he had finally found God. What a bargain that was. What makes a champion isn't necessarily the medal. It isn't the fame. Even though that is much more precious than anything else, that would have been destroyed by Goebbels or Goering or Hitler. Hitler didn't want to meet Jesse Owens. Goebbels didn't want to meet Jesse Owens. They did not want that American Negro around them. Everyone else was called up to meet Der Fuhrer and Goebbels, except for Jesse Owens. But when the Americans came into Goering's place, Goering was the big fat guy um, that was always by Hitler's side. Um, When they went into Goering's place and took him for his Nuremberg trials, in his library was a book and these. These two letters come from Goering's library, and up at the top it says, We won the gold. And underneath are the signatures of everyone who won gold, including this one at the very top, Jesse Owens. And so while he collected signatures of the champions, Jesse Owens and Lutz collected each other's hearts. One last thing. We look at Jesse Owens now as a hero and a champion. We look at him as a remarkable man. We look at him as somebody who had to have been welcomed back. with parades and ticker tapes and pictures with famous people. He wrote in a letter when he got back, the Fuhrer, the Fuhrer didn't want to meet me. While I was over in Germany and they didn't want to hear or see the Negro or the Jew, when I got back, I had to do something I didn't do in Germany. I had to enter the restaurants in the rear, and I had to ride in the back of the bus. While I didn't expect that Hitler would want to meet me, I never even received so much as a telegram from President Roosevelt. Jesse Owens 
might have been a champion whose name we all remember. But FDR, that progressive giant, didn't really want to shake his Negro hand either. I want to tell you about a guy now who was born in, I don't know, 1874, Carnegie, Pennsylvania. Um, he was one of nine kids. He studied to be a barber. Thought that was a good job. But something happened around the turn of the century that he enjoyed and was really kind of good at and um, decided to give it a whirl. It's called baseball. This is before the you know, baseball, the World Series, and everything else he was playing. He actually ended up with the Pittsburgh Pirates and played in the first World Series. He was a shortstop. He was a right fielder, a first baseman. The year 1903, he was in the World Series. They played the Boston Americans in the World Series that year, the very first one. And he lost. Pittsburgh um, walked away uh, without the trophy, if they even had a trophy back then. I'm not a baseball fan. I'm a fan of the stories of people's lives. And on this show and all the history shows that we're doing, the idea is to tell you some stories about some people that you might then say, I want to know more about that. Because I believe history is a wormhole. Once you start reading a book about one thing, my, my books at my home and library are all dog-eared. <laughs> so the best books are almost dog-eared every page. And then about halfway through, I just stop dog-earing it because I'm like, I just have to read it again. Um, but I, I'll dog-ear or I'll underline another person's name or uh, a thread of another story. And that's the way I think we need to read history. You start reading about one person, and then you get sucked into something else, and you start to see a mosaic of people. If I told you about Honus Wagner, this is something we don't even like to take out of the vault. This is a Honus Wagner card. Um, it's worth over $3 million, not owned by us. We borrow it from them. Uh, it is darn near in perfect condition. But why is a Honus Wagner baseball card worth more than any other baseball card? By far. Why? Why is it so rare? Maybe he wasn't a big deal. Maybe uh, people weren't trading for it. No, he was a big deal. He was, in fact, one of the first five inductees into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1936. Um, he was the first guy, Louisville Slugger, put his signature on the bat. First time anybody had had their signature branded into the bat with Louisville Slugger was Honus Wagner. So why weren't there more of his cards? Because Honus Wagner was more than a baseball player. Honus Wagner was a champion. He was nicknamed the Flying Dutchman. I don't know if that's why I know that term, the Flying Dutchman, or not. He was, um, he was, he was from Germany, German, German immigrant family. 
nine kids, three of the boys, including Honus, um, actually became Major League Baseball players. So a pretty talented family. But it wasn't the talent that made him a champion. It was the way he was raised and the values that he had. The reason why this Honus Wagner card is worth so much is because of what's on the back. What's on the back is an advertisement. Baseball series, 150 subjects. Piedmont, the cigarette of quality. Okay. Honus, when he saw it, was horrified. He was not a smoker. He thought it was a filthy habit. He said, I can't have kids picking up my baseball card with Piedmont cigarettes in the back. That's not right. They pulled them all off the shelves. It would have been easy for him to say, okay, well, just don't do it next time. His name and his image meant something to him. So he stood when it wasn't very popular. Imagine having your face on a baseball card. You're in the major leagues. They they want people to collect these cards. They've already printed all of them. They're already, some of them, out in the market. And you say, that's not me. Imagine the pressure that he had all around him. Come on, Honus, this is going to cost the company a fortune. Just do it. They won't do it the next time. That's not me. I don't want my face on an advertisement for cigarettes. So why is the Honus Wagner card worth over $3 million? Because he was a champion. Champions do more than just play ball. Real champions do more than just the long jump. Real champions stand in their entire life Being the best at something is just one part of being a champion. I don't buy into the PC garbage that, oh, you know what, we're all winners, and we can all get a trophy, and hey, nothing wrong with bronze. Yeah, there is. It's third place, dude. It's third place. However, if I'm placing third, if I'm placing second, and I get the silver, but it's because I, in the light of Der Fuhrer, Help my friend out and say, you're jumping too soon. Jump where the rag is. And defy racism. Defy leadership. And everyone in that crowd, because it's the right thing to do, man, I'll take bronze, I'll take silver, I'll take a peanut at the end and walk away still feeling like I'm a champion. Let me show you, because he was the first guy to have his name on a baseball bat. Honus Wagner was. (laughs) I have a quick story. It's about a champion, but makes me look pretty bad. Um, Let me take you over here and show you something. So this is rather embarrassing, but 
I was in um, St. Louis and I was on tour. And I, uh, I was driving down the highway and Pat and Stu were in the car with me. And I get a call from Tony LaRusso. I don't know who he is, um, but he's got my cell number. And uh, I said, hey, Tony. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. Can you hang on a second? Put it on hold. Hey, guys, uh, Tony LaRusso or LaRusa is on the other end, wants us to come to the game tonight. You know what you're talking about? And they're all, every, everybody in the van. You've got to be kidding me. You don't deserve your life. Um, so we went. They explained who it was. And he was a really nice guy. And he introduced me to Albert Pujols, who I also had no idea who it was. And you see here he wrote to Glenn, God bless you and the family, handcrafted for Albert Pujols. He handed this bat to me. And, uh, and I was standing there holding it, and I, I don't know anything at all about baseball. And he says, he says um, well, uh, you know, such a great thing to meet you, and I'm holding this bat. And he reaches out to shake my hand, and my hand's now all sticky. And I shake his hand. And I said, and thank you for the bat. And he's like, ah, sure. You walk away, and Tony and all the guys are like, it, does that still have pine tar on it? And I'm like, I don't know, but why would he give me a sticky bat? Something's all over this thing. I'm not even going to explain my shame, but if you would touch it, it's still sticky from pine tar. I was told by Tony they're very rare from Albert. I was impressed with him, and obviously not because of his not because of anything that he did um, on the playing field. I was impressed by the man that he was. And that summer, uh, I had the opportunity to ask him to come to Restoring Honor and receive an award of honor. And at the time, nobody wanted Albert to speak. Nobody, except Tony, Nobody wanted him to come to Washington and be in the center of the storm that was Restoring Honor. And we wondered and had a plan B all the way until he showed up about a half hour before because we thought, we got to have a plan B because he may not show because the press was crucifying him for coming to Washington that weekend and speaking about honor. You remember? I just want to thank God for giving me this platform as a baseball player. But I believe it's more than a, than a platform. And I believe that it's more than a baseball player. I, my job as a believer is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Obviously, there's so many people that I need to thank for this award or share this award with. And one of them is here today, my wife, Deidre. She's standing back there. And my family. Two people, too, there back in St. Louis is Todd Perry 
and Jane Cooper, they run the Pujols Family Foundation. They work so hard, thank you. They work so hard to make our foundation the best, and I thank them for that. Our job through the foundation is to be involved with kids with Down syndrome, Down syndrome and adults with Down syndrome. As well, I'm going back to the Dominican Republic with the mission, mission trips and give back. And we can't forget that where we come from. So, I found a, uh, an artist that I'm really embarrassed to say I had never heard of. Um, because you want to talk about somebody who is really, truly remarkable. I think better than Ella Fitzgerald or, or um, Billie Holiday or Carmen McRae, any of them. Um, and when I first heard her, I was at a friend's house, and I said, who is this? They told me. I said, I've never heard of her. How's that possible? They looked at me like I had three heads. I like jazz. I like blues. Um, and I can't believe I had never heard of Nina Simone. And I met somebody just the other day who I was listening to some Nina Simone. And she said, is that Nina Simone? I said, yes, it is, ma'am. And she said, oh, my gosh, she's great. And I said, she's fantastic. And I started talking to her. We talked about it for 45 minutes. She said, um, how do you know all this stuff? And I said, I, I've just been reading up about her. She was a big fan, and she remembers Nina in the 60s. I don't, obviously. And uh, I was shocked that she was a huge fan but didn't know, really, the Nina Simone story. She was a, a gifted, gifted child and not a singer. She was born in um, North Carolina, in uh, Tryon, North Carolina, I think. And um, her father was a preacher, and uh, she was the sixth child in this family. And a, a, a remarkable young prodigy, she studied classical music and could play anything classical. And she tried to get into um, the, um, the big school for music in Philadelphia, um, Curtis Institute of Music, I think, in Philadelphia. This is like 1956, 1957. And she's rejected. And the reason why she's rejected is because she's black. Here's this incredibly talented girl who has studied um, classical piano and can't get in only because of her skin color. I can't imagine what that must have been like. But as it turns out, she went one better. Um, she goes to the Juilliard in New York and um, she's trying to make her own so she has to go and work 
And she goes to play in a bar, I think it was down in Atlantic City. I don't know if it's still there, but Midtown Bar and Grill. And she was just playing piano, playing the hits, playing whatever she could just to make some money on the weekend. And the club owner um, came up to her and said, Girl, I, I, I'm paying you to sing, too. She said, well, I don't, I don't sing. I just play piano. He said, well, you better learn fast because I need somebody to play the piano and to sing. So she starts to sing. Now, I heard her piano when I was over at a friend's house, and I'm hearing her, and it has, it's jazz and blues and classical, like Mozart in the middle of blues. And her piano is amazing, but her voice is even more striking. And the longer I listened to her, the more I wondered, why is why do I not know Nina Simone? Why doesn't every she's better than Ella? How is that possible? Then I got to the track, Mississippi G Dam, and then I began to understand. She was an angry woman and had every right to be angry. 1964 is the year that song came out. But it's also the year that she plays three concerts at Carnegie Hall. The first time she played at Carnegie Hall, her parents weren't allowed to sit anywhere but in the balcony. And she refused to go on stage. She said, my parents have waited their child's whole life to be able to watch their child play. And now their child is playing at Carnegie Hall and they can't sit down in the front? I'm not, well, I'm, I'm not going on unless you move my parents down to the front. They did. I, I, I just can't imagine the world that was. And the strength that it took, the strength that it took to remain kind if you were being discriminated against like that, and the strength that it took to stand and just not go along with it. That's the real secret. Whatever is going on, the majority will make those people, even if it's a 40, 49%, I even think in some cases we've seen it, uh, as conservatives, where the majority of people are conservative, but the most powerful voices in the room are the other way. And they do everything they can to browbeat everyone into submission. She wouldn't be browbeaten. And she saw what was going on. And her music tells the story of the 1960s and tells the story unlike I've ever heard before of who she is. As the 1960s go on, she is married to this really abusive, nasty, nasty guy. Um, Andrew Stroud was his name, um, and he became her manager, and he controlled her, and he abused her. I mean, I don't know what her family life was like. I assume it was a good family life uh, growing up, but Boy, once she got married, she married some bad men. And he was 
abusing her and working her to death. He saw her as a cash cow. Well, when the civil rights thing happened, she started to do songs like the song about Mississippi. And, well, that's not going to go over well with white people in America, obviously. She didn't care. She wouldn't stop. She was at the other end of the bridge in Selma. When Martin Luther King got to Selma, she was there and held the concert. After they killed Martin Luther King, she went very dark and very angry and full black power. Unlike the Olympic torch from 1968, where the athlete put his hand up as black power, he went on to say later, that wasn't a symbol of black power, that was a symbol of human rights. She went black power. And by 1968, she is doing concerts where she is talking about kill the white man, kill whitey. And one reason is she was neighbors with Malcolm X. So she was there when Malcolm X was stirring it up. And at his worst, she eventually leaves America. She decides she's going to go over to Africa. But then I think she gets there and she realizes that Africa sucks. Um, But it didn't make her go back to America. Because at the time, America kind of sucked. At least if you were black. And she moved to France. I don't remember his name, um, but her drummer, who had been with her for a long time and really understood her and, and saw what she was capable of, wanted to find out what happened to Nina Simone. and He went over um, much later in life and found her alone and disheveled, playing in a little teeny downstairs cocktail lounge in Paris, France, the great Nina Simone. And she wasn't all there anymore. As it turns out, she had a very strong bipolar disorder and, um, and personality disorder that could be treated with medication. But she wouldn't be able to keep her artistic ability in playing the piano. She had to choose. Do I live like a crazy woman and keep my music? Or do I live a life of sanity and lose my music? I'm not sure which one I would take. I would think I would take my sanity but lose my voice. But this entire show has been about people who refuse to let their voice go silent. Whether you are a long jumper, a baseball player, or a jazz singer. We all come to a place where we're all going to have to answer, do I keep my voice and live like this? 
or do I put more stock in this and lose my voice? The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep, and I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time Magazine named Casper Mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom. And you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine. And they'll refund every single dime. Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep. Casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn. $50 off the purchase of your mattress at Casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Don't forget, $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply.